we're doing this series called Reclaiming the Family. In a culture, honestly, we're in a culture today that uh, the role models of healthy, successful families in, across the culture is somewhat two to three generations away. So we're two or three generations now into a culture that does not have the proper kind of role models or even a, like a foundation, a Christian foundation. And so we have a whole bunch of families out here uh, that are being torn apart uh, just simply by a lack of knowledge of God and of his word. And we're in this series looking at how can we reclaim the family. In today's uh, message that we're going to be dealing with, we're going to try to, how do we create a place of protection in our home? How do we create a place of protection? And by keeping, a protection by keeping the heart right. The heart right of the dad, the mom, the kids. Now, dads, I want you to get a piece of paper out and pencil because I've put together an application for dating my daughter. I don't think it's too harsh, so many of you may want to use it, okay? And it goes like this. I put it up here where you can write it down quickly. Uh, This application will be incomplete and rejected unless every question is answered and you've attached five photos, a family financial statement, job history, family lineage, credit check, birth certificate, passport, drug test results, background criminal check, school transcripts from the past five years, and all medical records. That's just the starting of it. Then you put in your names in there. How many years were you on the honor roll? Uh, What's the value of your home? All your basic information. I want to know everything about you. Uh, Number of Boy Scout merit badges received. I like that. At what level of the eagle ranking in uh, Boy Scouts did you achieve? I want to find out how how good this boy is before he dates my daughter. So we go on down and um, let's go on down the next one. Okay, here's some required documents. You've seen those up there. They need to give those to us. Accessory section. Do you own a van, truck? I'll go back one. Do you own a van, truck, waterbed, pickup, or a mattress in the back? Yes or no? Do you have a tattoo, earring, nose ring, pierced tongue or cheek, or any other piercings anywhere else in your body? Yes, no? If you answered yes to either of these questions, discontinue the application. Leave the premises immediately and begin running as fast as you can and be out of shooting range. Okay, guys, you get that down. Next one. Essay. 50 words or less, what does late mean to you? 50 words or less, what does don't touch my daughter mean to you? 50 words or less, what does abstinence mean to you? Okay, let's, the next one. References. I want to know the name of the church you attend three times every week. I want to know your preacher, your father, your mother, your grandparents, godparents, scoutmaster, preschool, principal, grade school principal, middle school principal, high school principal. Okay, references. Short answer section. If I were shot, the last place I would want to be shot would be If I were beaten, the last bone I would like broken is, and what do you want to do if you grow up? When I meet a girl, the thing I noticed first about her is, so we need to know what he's thinking about, and then there's, I swear that all the information applied above is true and correct to the best of my knowledge under penalty of arrest, death, dismemberment, or electrocution. Applicant's signature, that means you sign your name there, boy. Then all, the, all these other leaders in your home, all the way down to your congressman and representative, we want to 
We want to thank you for your interest in dating my daughter. Please, please allow one to two years of processing. You will be contacted in writing if you are approved. It says, don't, touch, don't contact us until I give you my two-year approval. All right, so that's just for all the dads and grandpas trying to protect your daughters out there. Creating a safe place uh, for our family. That may not be completely true, but you know what I'm talking about. We'll do just about anything to protect our kids, and we should. It's a dangerous place we live in. You can know the sweetest mama on the planet Earth. Kind, generous, sweet, easy to get along with. Mess with one of her babies, and you're going to see a whole different characteristic. You know what I'm talking about? Mama bears, you know what I'm talking about? I appreciate it, because we need to have this place where we keep our, our family right. Reclaiming the family. Today I want to talk about how do we do this by keeping a heart right. And this is big because this is not just something we do at childhood. This is something, if we can get this established, we'll guard that, that child of yours throughout their life if we can get our hearts in the right place. And I want to look today at one of the world's most intelligent, uh, powerful kings that have ever been on this planet. I want to look at, the, at King Solomon for a moment. And we're going to look at Solomon not from the aspects of his great abilities. I'll talk about him some. But I want to look at Solomon in the ways that he made some very serious heart mistakes. Heart level mistakes. And I want to, I will show you through scripture how dramatically those bad decisions affected the entirety of the Israelite nation. I mean, it got really bad under this King Solomon who was blessed above, pretty much above all. We're going to learn from his failures. We, we learn in Scripture that Solomon was blessed by God. He was allowed to establish Israel's borders to the furthest extent and led it in a time of its greatest time of peace. He was a great king. He was very wise. God himself, matter of fact, he had some, some uh, so much benefit from the nations around him that it says in uh, 1 Kings 10, 4, that he received, listen to this, 25 tons of gold every year from the nations around him. As tribute, they would bring 25 tons of gold into this man. He's very wealthy. And, he's, and God even spoke to Solomon personally. David didn't have that. God spoke through Dave, to David through prophets, but God spoke to Solomon a couple of times face-to-face uh, -face or directly to him. He was permitted to build the temple of Jerusalem, the glorious, the big, the, the majestic temple. Solomon built it. Remember, David wanted to, and he assembled all of the parts and got all of the materials and got all of the money together but actually his son Solomon was the one who was able to build the most glorious temple uh, in Jerusalem that has ever been. There was going to be a greater one coming, but this one was one in our history that has ever been. He, uh, he was one of the wisest men who ever lived. First Kings 4.32 says he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were numbered 1,005. Prolific writer. He described plant life, the cedars of Lebanon, all the way down to the hyssop that grew out of the walls of Jerusalem. 
He taught about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. And it says that men came from all over, all over the world at that time to just to listen to Solomon speak his great ability and the wisdom that came out of this man. So the question that naturally in this environment that comes to my mind is how could anyone so smart, so communicated to by God himself had that personal experience with the creator God, how could this man make some incredibly dumb decisions? And it, we think that these dumb decisions that we make just affect us. I'm getting ready to show you how from this one man's mistakes, how it impacted the culture and every family in that area. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11? 1 Kings chapter 11. It's about that far from the front. That helps you, Annie. It's page 204 in my book. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. While you're looking for that, David Esri did this uh, card for us, and I just absolutely love it. And what I'm going to tell you is this. In the Welcome Center, I'd love to have each of you pick up two or three of these. It's basically uh, says on here, Hamlin Baptist, we welcome you, some of our basic information and how to get here. Pick up three or four of those and keep them with you all the time. And as you're out and about in your day and you run across people, take one of those out and say, won't you join me Sunday? Come and be with us and see what God's doing in our midst. Take it and begin to invest that little bit of uh, evangelism. It's a very small step, but it's an important first step. So take that with you. That would be great. All right, now we're back. First Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were, a nation, they were from nations from which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had several hundred wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. Again, how could this smart man make these kinds of decisions? What would cause this to happen? Why would he reject that close relationship with creator Yahweh God and do this? Why would he do it? Well, I, I think the answer is found in verse 9 of chapter 11. And you might want to find it. You may want to mark it in your scripture. Here's what it says. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Mark that in your Bible. God became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him 
twice. You would think if you had a personal meeting with Creator God, that would, that would be a, rem, a remaining issue in your mind. But he did it. So let's answer it. Why? And the reason we're going to look at why is because I want you to figure out the two or three things today we've got to be careful to do in our homes with our families to be able to protect it to keep that home safe. The first thing, I want you to write it down. He developed an arrogance. Solomon developed an arrogance. One of the most important protections we can offer our children is humility. Now, we've grown up with, and I was guilty as anybody of raising our kids to say you're the greatest thing on the planet. You know, we, you can do anything. You can rule the world if you wish. And we give them all this encouragement but I'm, I think there's a other edge to that sword. And the other edge is that they begin to have or develop an arrogance. An arrogance that says, well, you owe me. It's that mindset that somebody owes me something. I should not have to put out any energy or effort here. You owe me because my mom and my dad told me that I am awesome and I can do anything I wanna do. Well, we wanna encourage our children but let me tell you, it's very important that we help them develop humility to realize that they can't become anything they want to become. We need to challenge them to become the thing God designed them to become, to find out, to search God, and to pursue him with their heart and their soul and their mind. And in the midst of that, develop the humility that our life is under the, the lordship of God, the design of God, and the plan of God. If we can help our people and our families know that maybe they will not develop this arrogance in first kings 11 1 and 2 it says it says that he married many foreign women besides pharaoh's daughter and he named them and it says nonetheless he held on to them because he loved them god had commanded his people do not intermarry with these folks it wasn't a racial thing believe me it was a thing because this, these folks had devoted themselves to false gods and to uh, the idolatry that led to all kinds of destruction. So why should he marry them? Because you know why? Because he could. Why? He's king. Who's going to tell him no? Is an arrogance that we can get even from positions that we've been given or titles we have achieved. We can begin to think that we're above that and we can do what we want, Solomon began in his arrogance to say, no, God, I'm gonna, he said he held on to all of these women because he loved them. And besides, he thought he was too strong. He thought he was too strong to be brought down by anybody's influence. He was too deep, he thought, in his faith to be drawn away by their paganism. Solomon was arrogant enough to believe that the commands of God applied to the lower people not to him, and in this arrogance, he became very weak and began to create uh, a very awful environment. You'll listen to boys and girls, and we teach to love everybody, and we should. Love them as the Lord would love them. But if we don't teach them to marry outside of the faith of belief in Jesus Christ, don't do that. And Solomon had heard that story. Don't marry outside 
of this kind of faith because if you do, you're gonna begin to have a divided home. But I love him. Oh, I love her. I hear that. I hear that often, honestly, over the years. But I love them and I know that I'll be able to change them. That is one of the dumbest lines you're gonna ever hear. You know why? You can't change anybody. You have enough trouble changing you, don't you? So how can we even think that we're gonna get somebody else to do something? You can't, you're not going to. And, but it's, that, it's a deception that gets, but I love them, so I'm sure that if I work in her life long enough, she'll eventually, you know, and sometimes they do. But a lot of times they don't. And then I have a lot of people that come to church spiritually single, out, do not have that unity that they so strongly desire. And that's no fault, and I'm not creating any kind of judgment there. I'm just saying God's rules apply to keep, do not be unequally yoked. Do not be tied together, even in business, it says, with an unbeliever, but especially in the marriage and in family. Do not be tied together with somebody outside of the faith, outside of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This leads to the second and most, maybe more basic reason for Solomon's heart to turn from God. Number two, his, he disobeyed God's word. He became arrogant and then he disobeyed God's word. Second Kings chapter 22, I'm not gonna read it for time, but in this passage, the law of God had been lost in Israel for many generations Many, think about it, the word, just imagine if the entire scripture was taken away from not just a short period of time, but let's say uh, 50 years, 100 years. And we'd have now some generations that do not know anything about God's word. What would it be, what would culture look like? Well, it would, it would nosedive rapidly. And so this is the place where they were when Solomon came in to, to rule that the word or the law of God had been lost for many generations. And in that, and then verse 20, excuse me, chapter 23, verses one through four, I want us to look at that. Go to 2 Kings chapter 23, four through 14. I wanna show you just how far a once godly nation had been taken over by false idols. I want you to see how far things got because of disobedience of the leadership. Starting in verse four, the king ordered Hilkiah, the priest, the high priest, the priests next in rank and the doorkeepers to remove, listen, remove from the temple of the Lord. Look what was actually inside the temple now. All the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts, or the worship of, of the sun, moon, stars. He burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley, and he took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those high places are idol worship. They had a full set of priests now in place leading this idolatry. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations and the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole, which is a, uh, um, 
Asherah was the female goddess that they would worship and around it they would have temple prostitutes. And so it was a sexually oriented kind of worship. And he took the Asherah pole, look at this, from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside of Jerusalem and burned it there. And he ground it to powder and scattered it as dust on the graves of the common people. He also tore, the, watch this, the, the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. The quarters where the women did weaving for the Asherah. This was in the temple. I mean, the worship of God was gone. And it was full-blown idolatry. Temple prostitution, uh, Asherah, were given into Molech. Josiah brought all the priests in from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba where the priests had burned incense. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or their daughter to the fire of Molech. Do you hear this? The Israelites were even taking their children and sacrificing them to this false god, Molech. Do you see how far Israel had fallen? I mean, it's devastating, terrifying to see all this happening. I'm going to skip the rest of that, but just read that section to see all that happened. To protect the heart of our family, the word of God must be central to all learning in your family. Hear this again, I'm going to say it again. For you to protect the heart of the children or the heart of your family, the word of God must be central to all learning in your family. Well, we think that's why we have schools, right? We send our kids to schools to learn what they need to know, right? I'm telling you, I, I love schools and I love teachers because I have to because you're all teachers, right? No, I, I do honor you and I'm so grateful that you are in those classrooms because you take the representative of Christ to those rooms. But let me tell you, if you have children and you're depending on your public school to train your children that, that the word of God is central to all learning, you've lost it because they can't. Their hands are tied by a government that is acting like, we, uh, like Israel without the word of God, without the law of God. And so we are now worshiping every idol on the planet, maybe with different names, but they're the exact same thing. Molech, we're killing our babies. Asherah, pornography has gone crazy. Baal, where we, we do, uh, do lucky things to get blessings from, from the lucky idols. It's just everywhere around us. And it cannot be taught because our government has lost the concept that there is a truth. There is a way that it seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. There is only one form of truth, and the word of God, moms and dads, grandparents, we have to make sure all learning, whatever they're learning in the school, you have, it's our responsibility to bring that education into our home of an evening, go through it, see what's happening, and bring it back to what God's word says. It's not, we're, as a church, we're gonna do everything we can to do that. But you understand, we get your kids about two hours a week. Do you see what I'm saying? It's gotta be in your home. The word of God has to be the core training of everything that we do with our children. David, uh, Solomon's father, 
even wrote it like this in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law or word, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Did you hear what it says? There are some some things you do and some things you don't. And the things that you are not to do is don't sit where there is being a counsel of the wicked. If wickedness is being counseled, get out of it. Do not stand with people who celebrate sin. Do not sin, do not uh, spend time where people are scoffers. But here's the do's. Delight in God's law. In that law becomes moral standards. In that law becomes an eternal perspective. And it says meditate on God's word day and night. The result is in this. David wrote it. They will be planted like a tree by water. They're always going to have enough. They'll produce much fruit in their life. They will avoid the destructive forces of sin. And they'll be blessed. There will be a God's blessing upon everything that they do. It says that they'll prosper. I want my children to prosper. Remember, Solomon did three things. He got arrogant. He became arrogant. He disobeyed God's word. And he hung around with people who worshipped other gods. And I'd just like to say to you today, it is our responsibility and is greater in our day probably than ever before in America for God's people to stand up and train your children. Don't expect it to be done by somebody else. If somebody else does it, like our, t- our great uh, Sunday school teachers, awesome, thank you for all you do. But it comes down to our responsibility. Even what they're getting from their classroom and they're bringing home in homework and you evaluate it, you need to take time of that evening and say, this is what this says, but let me show you what God's word says. This is our foundation. This is our truth. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. Former education secretary, William Bennett, many of you will remember him, he wrote that he sees evidence of such decline in research identifying the most serious problems in public school classrooms. In 1940, it was running in the halls, chewing gum, talking in class, and those are the main things that listed the problems that the teachers were facing at the time. But then, Bennett went on to say, today, it's robbery, rape, alcohol, drugs, teen pregnancy, and suicide are the most mentioned issues. You see a little bit of a decline. Bennett said, if we turn our economy around and we have full employment and we live in cities that are alabaster and gold and this is what our children are doing to each other, then we have failed. Then we have failed. We are trying to reclaim the family. Just like Israel and even the worship of God had gotten much worse than they had even considered. America in moral decline is at a much more dangerous place than most of us even realize. Businessmen and women know that the next workforce coming in do not have the foundations. They don't know 
moral standards of right and wrong. They don't know the importance of personal responsibility in the process that we're going through. Where does it start? Where does, it, where do, where does this turn around? It turns around, first of all, with you and your home. It's not just listening to a, a word or a message, but it's determining we're gonna spend an hour after supper each evening with our kids. We're gonna look at what they're going through. We're gonna see what they're studying. And we're gonna show them what's being said there. You know, we can, we're not gonna fight that necessarily other, if it goes against God's word, we're gonna tell you, we're gonna show you what's true. We've gotta do it. We cannot let somebody else be responsible for it anymore. We gotta reclaim the family. And that's what we've been talking about today. My question is, what is the Lord saying to you? Vicki, could you come on up? What is the Lord saying to you? Just like everything else, restoration of a nation or of a family does not begin with the president. It does not begin with the House of Representatives or your senators. Change that is necessary for a nation to be blessed by God starts in the house of the Lord. It starts with God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, get rid of that arrogance, humble themselves, repent of their sin, turn from their wicked ways, then we'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin and heal our land. It starts here. It starts now. And it starts with you. It starts with me. What's God saying to you and what do you need to do about it? Would you pray? Father, we're thankful for today. Thankful for your word. Thank you, God, that you showed us through honesty the failure of a great man and the impact that it had upon a nation. Lord, we come before you today and we have, I have to confess my failure. Failure to be, to stand, to teach, to go the extra mile of providing protection, provision and for the reclaiming of family. But God, I pray that your spirit right now speaks to us on an individual basis. Not to be hearers only, but to start being a doer of the word using our influence to train up the next generation to fear you, to honor you, to respect you, to learn from you, to turn their feet and their ways on the path of righteousness so that they can walk in blessing and maybe even turn around a decaying nation. God, we're desperate for your work. So we ask you, God, just to do a work within us today. Let us respond as you lead us. Some may need to come and pray. Some may need to get with family right in this house and make a new level of commitment together. Some may need to go to others and apologize. Others need to come and say, we're going to get our family in this church and we're going to be an active functioning part. Whatever God is saying. 
Do it quickly. Respond quickly as the Lord leads you. Would you stand? The altars are open. We do have people ready to pray with you and for you. It starts here where it doesn't start. 